0: Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Casey Rosenthal, CEO and co-founder of Verica, a continuous verification platform that's raised over $17 million in funding. Casey, thanks for chatting with me today. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so before we begin talking about what you're building, let's start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background.
1: Sure. So, yeah, I'm Casey, uh, my background is in distributed systems and high availability, reliability of uh, engineering systems, things like that. If I'm to the extent that I'm known at all, it's mostly for a discipline called chaos engineering. So about seven or eight years ago, I was hired to Netflix to manage uh, a bunch of teams that were related to availability. And uh, one of the teams that fell under my purview was uh, chaos engineering. So I wrote the definition for chaos engineering, built and managed that team for some years, went on to write the book on it, start the conferences, things like that. So in the industry, I'm generally known as the chaos engineering person. And then about four years ago, we started Verica to bring a bunch of learning and tools that we had built around chaos engineering, a proactive discipline to improve system safety to other companies. And what is chaos engineering? Could you define that in simple terms? Sure. It's a, an empirical process where basically you experiment on your system to uncover your safety margin. So all our guests, I'm sure, will be familiar with outages, incidents, uh, security incidents are very similar to outages. And the reason that uh, large online services have outages is because the, the engineers who are closest to them don't see them coming, right? If they saw them coming, then they would do something different and we, we wouldn't have outages. And so chaos engineering is the first kind of mainstream practice that looks to solve that proactively. And it does it by running experiments on your systems so that you can figure out where the edge of the cliff is. And once you kind of understand that safety margin, then engineers can optimize for that so that they are less likely to accidentally go over the edge of the cliff. And is that normal for teams to have an
0: entire team dedicated to chaos engineering, or is that normally just a responsibility that's
1: folded into a different team? So right now it works most effectively if it's kind of facilitated by a team that's dedicated to that as a practice or resilience Mm -hmm. engineering as a practice. So usually that's how we see it out in the industry. In terms of whether or not it's common, it's embraced pretty well by digital native companies, particularly companies in the in the Bay Area and hyperscalers, things like that. And we see a lot of adoption in fintech and large banks in particular. And then other companies, other uh, verticals and industries are, are still kind of dabbling with uh, chaos engineering. Got it. Okay. Very cool. And apart from your own book, what Book. Would you say has had the greatest impact on you as a founder and entrepreneur? As a founder, there's a book called "What Works: Gender Equality by Design" by Iris Bonnet, and this is—I mean—there's a a ton of books out there on being a founder and management, and you know that's all fine and good. This book is about taking kind of tried and true steps to foster an environment that has better gender equality, but it also applies to other underrepresented groups and you know creating a, a more fair platform to you know kind of resist the biases we have in hiring and other things that we do that cement kind of the existing power structures that favor, you know, white men with glasses like me which we all we have overwhelming evidence now that more diverse and inclusive companies do better than ones that are homogenous. So, you know, building that into our company's DNA and doing everything that we can to make sure that everything from our hiring process to our compensation process you know, explicitly de-biases our processes as much as possible has had, a, I think, the most profound effect on the organization that I'm building as a founder than in anything else that I've read.
0: Nice. I'll have to check that out. It's refreshing to hear someone say something other than Peter Thiel's Zero to One or Ben Horowitz's The Hard Thing About Hard Things. I'd say no, about or, 90% or, of people just say yeah. those. <laughs> or, Andy, or Andy Grove's book. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, Glad to hear something different there. Now, let's talk about Verica. And I know you touched on it a bit there in the intro, but can you walk us through the origin story behind the company and then dive a bit deeper into what the actual solution does?
1: Sure. So we were looking to, again, take um, chaos engineering tooling to the market to a broader audience. And chaos engineering by itself is literally just a tool. And, you know, tools don't inherently do something good. So there's a little bit more that was required to make a product to build a product around just the tool. Or in in some cases, chaos engineering is even just a technique. So we spent 2019 mostly doing R&D. And we spoke with over 100 large enterprises about their incidents. They're usually outages, but uh, sometimes security incidents uh, as well. And what we were looking for are pieces of infrastructure that were common and problems that were common so that we could build a product around those. And this might be obvious in hindsight, but two things jumped out at us. One was uh, Kubernetes, a lot of senior leaders that we spoke with were caught off guard by the introduction of Kubernetes into their ecosystem, and now they're trying to figure out, you know, how do I scale this, how do I support this, how do I get ROI out of it? And at the same time, Kubernetes had, uh, probably still has a reputation for being a bit difficult operationally to optimize for high availability and security. So that's a problem for the industry, opportunity for us, because that's the kind of thing that we focus on. The other piece of infrastructure that jumped out at us was Kafka. Almost everyone we spoke with has Kafka somewhere in their organization. It's been around a bit longer, so a lot of business critical functions depend on it. And of those, almost everybody had a horror story of Kafka you know, going down, going sideways and taking down that business critical function. So again, that's a problem for the industry, opportunity for us, because that's the kind of thing that we focus on. So 2020, we spent building proof of concepts and prototypes for a continuous verification module for Kubernetes and a module for Kafka. And we, we built the Kubernetes module with one of the large telecoms here in the US. And we built the Kafka module with one of the largest banks here in the US, and that went well. So 2021, we started adding more customers and that kind of culminated in a big deal we announced uh, earlier this year with Dish Wireless. So they are the uh, fourth large cell phone provider here in the U.S. They have a, a mandate from the FCC to hit targets for providing cell service uh, to you know across the, the U.S. geography. And they expect to be AWS's biggest customer by the end of the year. And they chose us as their continuous verification platform. So that's awesome for us to be in such a high profile and, and kind of public um, use case. So diving a little bit deeper into what the product actually does, so we take a bunch of empirical methods and and paths to define that safety margin for people. So some of it looks like using chaos engineering techniques, which means we'll basically, through software and automation, set up experiments on infrastructure that basically see how's your software going to respond when there's, for example, a latency spike between different services. Do the requests coming from customers or from the the users of the system, do they still return the expected output? And so that's kind of the prototypical uh, chaos engineering experiment. And feeding that information back to the people who both operate the infrastructure and the people who run applications on top of it, that's what helps them develop an intuition about their safety margin. So we can, you know, empirically tell people, hey, when there's a you know, 100 millisecond spike in in network latency or packet loss or, you know, some other effect, here's the result. Here's how your application responds to it. And then putting that in a, in a continuous verification platform so that it's running those in the background all the time, uh, we can detect deviations in performance or expected behavior of the system over time. So we can say, hey, you know, your Kafka cluster used to have this shape of performance profile. And then, you know, suddenly today it has a very different performance profile. And, you know, that example in particular is one that we've seen in the literature and in the experience that we've gathered that can lead to some of those cascading Kafka failures. So we take a, a variety of, of methods to kind of assess and gather that, that information and put it back in front of, like I said, the people operating the, the infrastructure and building applications on top of it. Got it. Interesting.
0: And when it comes to market categories, is continuous verification an established category? You know, is that something that these large enterprises are going to have a line item for? Or is that really something that you're
1: pioneering and and pushing yourselves? Yeah, it's definitely an, an emerging category. We've seen some consolidation around the term continuous verification across the industry, but we still think it's very early days in recognizing that this is part of the DevOps evolution you know, where CI gave us the ability to deliver features faster because the the integration limits the rate at which people make bugs, et cetera. And CD got those features in front of customers faster by automating the delivery pipeline. CV is kind of like the third and final piece of that evolution where we can say, okay, now that we can make things quickly and get them in front of customers quickly, now that we can go fast, how do we do that without breaking things? And CV is, is like the the headlights on that car that's driving faster now. CV is what allows us to keep our eye on the ball, keep our business metrics front and center so that we know that our customers still have, you know, the experience that we want them to have while all of that uncoordinated change is happening under the, the hood that, you know, multiple uh, deploys per day and things like that. You know, the practices that DevOps kind of brings in, into play are afoot. So yeah, we see it as kind of the, the capstone or the final piece of evolution in that transformation that really brings it all together for businesses. And that's something that we've seen adopted at you know, very large tech companies for a couple of years, not not a long time, but a, a couple of years. And and we're starting to see people associate that with the term continuous verification. and And so that is starting to become a category, but it's still very early days for it. Got it.
0: And one of the you know, challenges that I'm sure you've experienced when it's a new category is you have to educate about the category and then you have to educate about the product. And there's you know, essentially two funnels that you have to run. What are you doing on, you know, on the company side to really educate the market about continuous verification?
1: Yeah, so a lot of that is public speaking and blogs. We also have, we're a little bit unusual for a startup in that we actually have three products. So the the continuous verification platform is our main product. We also have a security product that's an open source package that plays in the CSPM space, cloud uh, security posture management. And then our our third product, which is not something we expect to be like a a blockbuster traditional VC line of revenue, but is Mm. very valuable to us, particularly in this respect, is called the Void, the Verica Online Incident Database. So the Void.community is basically what started as our internal research database on incidents across the industry. And we realized that nobody really had a holistic database for these kinds of incidents where you know, they could just search them, but also search for properties of things like, you know, if I'm using, I don't know, Vault and I want to see what are the publicly accessible incidents around Vault. You know, there wasn't one central place to go and do that. Now we have that. So we opened that to the public. And because we have such a close relationship with that data, we've been able to develop reports around the data. So we've got basically a research wing that focuses on processing that and bringing out key findings that help cement us as you know experts and, and industry leaders and influencers. And so we can use that to help promote uh, continuous verification as an emerging category. But yeah, we're, we're kind of lucky in that while well, we have the staff and in-house talent to, to do that, and we have a, a couple of key insights that really turn a lot of traditional thinking about incident management and and downtime on its head and that tends to get a lot of attention, either with um, enthusiastic applause or, or um, you know, a lot of uh, disbelief and disagreement. But, you know, we've got the data to back it up. So it's all in good fun. Nice. And what
0: about, you know, targeting analysts and engaging with analysts? Is that something that you're actively doing?
1: We do. So, you know, we do the rounds with Gartner and things like that. That's not a high priority for me because, I view that as kind of a, a trailing indicator of where the industry is in terms of adoption. And so at this early stage, I believe it's more important to pioneer the category. And I could be wrong, but to pioneer the category with early adopters and large, you know, particularly high profile, large enterprises that will publicly talk about it and reinforce it, like Dish Wireless, who, who's been just fantastic about, you know, allowing us to publicly talk about what we're doing there and, you know, let it catch on a little bit more organically now. And then I imagine in a few years, it'll be, you know, move away from the early adopters. And then the role of analysts will be a little bit more important or relevant. But, you know, there's a lot of outreach from analysts, uh, particularly around the chaos engineering space, you know, just because of, of my role in, in evangelizing that and, and and originating a lot of the ideas there. And that's helpful to us and I believe to the industry. And there's a couple of things that I think still need to be worked out there particularly with analysts it's in my opinion chaos engineering isn't a business category because as i said it's a it's a tool or it's a technique chaos engineering itself isn't a product so the companies that have kind of tried to build a business around chaos engineering as a tool in my opinion aren't going to deliver the value that you know an enterprise is really going to expect from something that they're paying for got it
0: and one of the things that I've seen with the the companies I work with is, you know, they land these big logos and that's, you know, great from a business perspective, but they're not allowed to actually talk about it at all. And, you know, they can't be public in sharing the information about these logos that they've uh, they've landed. So what have you done to, you know, convince these big companies to let you be so public and talk about them using your
1: product? Oh, we're just we're lucky. I mean, so, you know, we've got customers who are banks, telecom, athletic retail, And yeah, they're very, you know, we're not allowed to use their logo. We're not allowed to talk about it. Dish Wireless happens to be one of those companies that's been, they just have a different attitude towards it. I know there are other companies like that out there. I've heard Capital One is, uh, I could be wrong, but I've uh, anecdotally heard from other founders that they're pretty cool with their vendors talking about integrations when they go well. But yeah, I, I didn't have to do a lot of convincing with Dish Wireless. They were, you know, very specifically looking for a solution like ours. And they were just happy to promote the the integrations that we're doing. Nice, that's amazing.
0: Yeah. And outside of you know what you've mentioned so far, any other numbers or metrics you can share
1: in terms of traction with the continuous verification platform? Not really. We will have some announcements uh, later this year, and I'm happy to come back and, and keep you posted on that. Things are looking pretty good there. The report, uh, you can see the sponsors that we're getting for the VOID and the, the members who are participating in that research. You can mm-hmm. see uh, on the website that's growing pretty quickly. And I believe that's, again, early days just starting to take off as there's this, this huge interest now in incident response, incident remediation, incident analysis. And some of our key findings in there, like the fact that MTTR is a bad metric are really kind of shaking up that industry. So I think that's going to grow at a pretty reasonable clip uh, here, even through the end, of the end of the year, end of the quarter. And yeah, I can't share specific numbers with Prowler Pro, our security SaaS offering, but we just launched that uh, last week, a free tier. And we've been overwhelmed <laughs> by, by the number of signups there. So, you know, I don't think we have enough data there to really plot any trend lines, but all three of these areas are, are really exciting spaces to be in right now. Nice.
0: And as I'm sure you're well aware, you know, taking innovative ideas to market isn't easy. What would you say is the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome? For the
1: continuous verification platform, the biggest challenge was really aligning cycles between product and marketing and sales. So, for example, we got a lot of pressure from early investors and advisors to bring on some top sales talent early on. And what we knew, what we understood was, you know, that this is a sophisticated engineering task and that it would take a while to build the product. And the last thing I wanted was to have, you know, a talented salesperson, you know, sitting on their hands or worse selling something that we didn't have yet. So we had to kind of time things just right and resist hiring, you know, some top sales talent early on while we got the product right with the customers. And then, you know, then you run into the opposite problem where, where like, okay, now you've got the product ready and there's a mad rush to bring that sales talent in to, to get it off the ground. So just, you know, getting the cadence and timing right between the initial launch of the product and the sales and marketing infrastructure to really lift it was very, very tricky. And of course, the the pandemic in there kind of, you know, smeared timelines in, in both directions and, and added a lot of uh, uncertainty. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And what excites you most about the work you're doing? Oh, God, I mean, like, we are literally changing how the industry thinks about operating and maintaining and extending their infrastructure at scale, you know, in terms of the software that they use to do it, how they talk about it and how they measure it. And on the security side, how the the community actually in, engages with their day-to-day job because we're actually instantiating DevSecOps where the developers are, are actually enabled to do the security themselves. It, it doesn't have to be a siloed function. So, yeah, I mean, I couldn't dream of anything better than that. We are changing, like, you know, behavior and the, the, the system holistically across the industry by giving people new options and new ways of thinking about the work that they're doing. So it's just a really exciting place to be. Nice.
0: That's amazing. And if we zoom out into the future, what's the five-year vision?
1: Well, hopefully all three of those business lines just uh, really take off and we don't accidentally add any additional ones because three is enough. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, all three of these, of course, revolve around continuous assessment and vigilance around system safety. And so, you know, just continuing to pioneer that space and be known as, you know, the company that you go to when you're concerned about optimizing for system safety for your uh, digital systems at scale. We really want to be a the powerhouse in in that particular, you know, area of engineering consciousness. Wow,
0: amazing. Well, Casey, unfortunately that's all we're going to have time to cover for today. If people want to follow along with your journey as you build this company up, where's the best place for them to go? verica.io or prowler.pro Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it and look forward to seeing you execute on this vision.
1: Thank you so much, Brett. This was great.